You are listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 35. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey guys, so on today's episode, we're talking to Susan Wright from the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. If you've listened to more than one or two of our episodes, you've heard us mention the NCSF. At some point, they do a ton of important work in the kink and polyamorous communities. One of the many things that they do is they do a lot of work around consent. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about consent. So we're going to talk about what consent is. Are we talking about some of the best practices around it? And we're also going to be talking about some resources if either you find yourself in a position where your consent has been violated or where you are being accused of violating someone else's consent. On an unrelated note, I'm actually going to ask Susan a question that I get quite a bit when I teach, which is, how likely are you to be criminally prosecuted for practicing BDSM? The NCSF responds to these kinds of incidents and tracks them, so they have all the data. And the answer to this question may actually surprise you. So all in all, guys, I think a great interview. So without further ado, let's get started. So today we're talking to Susan Wright. Susan Wright founded the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom in 1997 and currently serves as spokesperson and director of Incident Reporting and Response. Susan has presented at over 100 professional organizations, universities, service agencies, and community groups on consent, discrimination against consenting adults, and sexuality in the media. She chaired the successful DSM-5 revision project, which helped result in the consensual paraphilias being delineated from paraphiliac disorders in 2013. Ooh, you got anything you want to add to that, that bio, Susan? Then we'll jump in from there. No, that sounds good. <laughs> I think that sums it up. Okay. So before we we get it, because I want to talk about what the NCSF is for people who don't know, but you know, so it's it's interesting. As much as we've talked to you in the past and like done stuff with the NCSF, I never realized you founded it actually until now reading your bio. Ah, yes, I did. I actually was working on a uh, project for the uh, National Organization for Women. They had an anti-BDSM uh, policy. They equated... BDSM with violence against women and, you know, perpetuating the patriarchy. And so I spent three years traveling around the country, getting now members to kind of rally against that. And in 1999, we passed a new delineation of lesbian rights, which said that, you know, embrace the diversity of uh, sexual expression that women have. So that was a successful project. And while I was doing that project, I kept on having women coming to me and saying, I've lost my kids in child custody because my uh, I'm kinky and that was brought up and I lost my job because I'm a teacher and uh, somebody outed me to the school board or my principal. And so I kept hearing these stories. And um, so while I was doing this project, I, I started going, reaching out to the, the groups. Um, and um, in particular, I reached out to the five biggest groups, um, Black Rose, National Leather Association International, Society of Janice, gay male SM activists and the Oil and Spiegel Society, and they were the first groups to join the coalition. Well, so I know we're, we're going to do some talking about consent, but could you, before we get into all that, I'd like to talk a little bit about the NCSF. So not everybody, I think they probably heard us talk about you guys several times on this podcast, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have a great idea of who you guys are and what you do. So could you go into that? I guess, firstly, like kind of the history of some of what you guys have done in the past and then what you're working on currently now what you guys are doing? Well, NCSF is a coalition and that's important to remember. We're a grassroots coalition. We're all volunteers and we've been doing this for 21 years. And the coalition is, um, consists of, uh, educational and social groups, events, businesses, any entity that serves other people. So we do that because we want to make sure we're responsive to the communities that we serve. Um, And that has really kept us on track uh, for over two decades um, because our coalition partners vote on our board members and they vote on the projects that we do every year. 
So we make sure that what we're doing is what the community most needs so that the money that we get um, gets funneled directly back into the projects that have the most impact. So we've done a lot of different projects um, over the years. A big one was uh, one that you had mentioned in the bio, which is the DSM project. And that was the work we did with the American Psychiatric Association um, because at one point, you know, these this DSM, the Diagnostic Bible, which outlines all of the mental disorders, had um, sexual sadism, sexual masochism, cross-dressing, fetishes um, listed as paraphilias. And it was very confusing because they also listed them right next to the non-consensual exhibitionism and the non-consensual voyeurism and pedophilia. And so they were all kind of lumped together. And what this DSM project did that um, NCSF sponsored was we got a lot of people to speak out and say, this is a problem. You know, people are getting their kids taken away from them. It's really equating two very different things. And the American Psychiatric Association heard us and they changed the way that it was described in the DSM. And so now they're the consensual paraphilias, which are basically unusual sexual interests. And there's the non-consensual ones, which are the paraphilic disorders. And because of that, child custody problems have plummeted. In 2008, when we were really ramping this project up and doing a petition and letter writing campaign, um, we had 124 parents come to us for help. And last year, we had 15 kinky parents come to us for help. Wow. So, yeah, it's a huge difference. Okay. So... What are you guys, I guess, I know you guys do a, a ton of things. We're going to talk about a few, but what are, what are some of the biggest areas you guys are currently working on at the NCSF? Well, we do have a lot of different projects. Uh, one project that's huge is our media outreach project. We are always doing outreach to the media. Um, we're giving interviews. We're educating the media about consensual BDSM and consensual non-monogamy. And um, we're training people how to talk about the media. Um, that was very helpful around the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon because a lot of voices were able to rise up and speak out about BDSM in a very uh, smart way that turned it into a teachable moment. So that's a really important project that we've seen have a real impact. I mean, when you look at non-monogamy, our numbers, you know, we track the media that is that covers BDSM and non-monogamy. And, you know, 10 years ago, it was largely negative. And not very many articles. Um, and then last year it was like 98% positive and 80 articles that, that we reposted as media updates on non-monogamy. So we've see, we can actually see by the way we track the media, how the dialogue has changed around these kinds of um, sexual behaviors. Yeah, I, I do want to, I'm not going to derail this whole thing, but I definitely want to put out there for anybody who is thinking about talking to the media to definitely reach out to you guys first and get some, that's one of those things that can go well if you, if you know what you're doing and, and uh, poorly otherwise. Um, and, you know, without getting into the whole story, you guys definitely helped us out a ton with that during a period we went through with a lot of, a lot of potentially negative press. So anybody who's thinking about that should definitely talk to you guys. And you guys handled it wonderfully. I mean, any group, any business can, uh, attract negative media. Um, and, um, you know, you can get attacked um, in the media. And NCSF is there to help people. We also do a lot of work around educating professionals. We go to these big conferences. We're going to the American Psychiatric Association in August. That's the first time we're going to be able to present to exhibit there. And I'm also presenting a paper on one of the um, surveys we did. So by us being able to go to these professional conferences, we get this information out. And then that has an impact on a lot of people. So almost half of our budget goes to sending people to these different professional conferences and having the exhibit booth and handing out our literature and doing that education person by person. And so you guys, you guys um, put a lot of work into into educating professionals. I know we mentioned your Kinkaware Professionals directory quite a bit. All the time. All the time. <laughs> well, it's a super useful. I mean, it might be the most visited project on our website because when you want to find a therapist uh, or a couples therapist, or you need an attorney, it is really helpful to be able to find somebody who lists themselves as kink aware, which is also 
aware of non-monogamy. And so you don't have to spend a lot of time trying to explain uh, consent in the context of BDSM or the relationship dynamics of being in a polyamorous relationship. You can just get to what your issue is. And it's extremely helpful. We have um, almost 2,000 professionals on our cap list at this point. And we also reach out to other organizations like Gay Law Net because they have thousands of attorneys on their listing. And they've actually just started asking attorneys to also note if they're kink aware professional. So they have a little icon that they can click as well as being LGBTQ friendly. They can also be kink aware. So just by reaching out and expanding our reach, we just constantly looking to add more resources to our arsenal um, to protect people. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think that list covers what it's doctors, therapists, lawyers. What what else is on that? Is that I know that's the big couple, but what else do you guys cover on that list? Just for people who are listening. Yeah, those are the big ones, but we do a lot of different professionals. We actually have a media category for um, people who need to get media training or if they're a videographer, things of that sort. We have uh, internet professionals, people who create websites. Um, we have massage therapists um, because a lot of times you, you want to have somebody who understands if they see a bruise or marks. You want to go to a massage therapist who's educated. We have dentists. Um, you know, we have all different kinds of professionals um, that you might need. I guess, I guess the other thing I know we want to touch on before we get to consent is talking about um, incident response. Well, I guess, I guess that, that falls under consent, too. I'm primarily right now, though, talking about incident response in terms of people who um, are having issues, you know, because they're kinky or because they're polyamorous or things along those lines. Can you tell me about that program that you guys have? Yes. The incident reporting and response is another big project that NCSF has. We have always had this project and it's part of us being a grassroots organization. We are doing this to help our member organizations because when people are being discriminated against or they're having trouble with the media or, you know, they're a group and they get into trouble, um, they need help. And so it's our direct services that we offer. Um, so anybody who's having a trouble, trouble like that, that's related to kink or non-monogamy or even sex work. We help sex workers who are having child custody issues because we deal so much with child custody. We have a lot of experience on how to do that. So we helped last year. It was uh, 170 people. This year we're on track to help a lot more. Um, the Me Too movement has really kind of supercharged people reporting um, consent violations. And this is extremely helpful because we don't believe in sending someone just to the police. We like to get them hooked up with an agency uh, where they can have somebody help them report it to the police, help them get a restraining order. Or even if they don't want to report it, they can get free counseling from these agencies. So we, we connect people with these agencies so that they can get the help that they need. And as a side part of that, we end up documenting when people are reported. So if it's a presenter and we have three or more reports, you know, we can actually talk to our member groups about this. And, um, and if it's actually, if we have two or more reports, um, NCSF is, doesn't want to be presenting a consent workshop at the same event where somebody who has violated consent, like sexually assaulted or assaulted somebody, or if they have a police report against them or restraining order. Um, we think it's really important that groups protect themselves and not allow those people to have, um, a prominent position. Wow. There's a lot of stuff I want to dig into there. <laughs> Well, let's actually let's let's talk about consent first, then, since we're really we're really on the topic and we can we can get because I, I do want to talk with you because I think you guys are really the experts on this about kind of the current state of, you know, the acceptability or, you know, problems that people get into surrounding consensual kink um, still that's going on. But so let's let's talk about um, let's let's talk about consent for a minute. So you guys are running a lot of programs around consent currently. Yes, our consent counts program is. Um, very busy. Uh, it actually was started out of a project at NGLTF by the people who attended the Leather Caucus. They decided that decriminalizing BDSM was one of the main issues that we needed to work on, which is definitely true. And so uh, 10 years ago, uh, NCSF took over Consent Counts. And um, it's been a long project. We knew it was going to be a long project. And it's actually kind of expanded to decriminalizing sexual behavior between consenting adults. So it's not just 
focused on BDSM at this moment. It's also focused on people who are non-monogamous and are having trouble because, say, a child custody judge uh, says you can't see both your partners and still keep custody. You can, um, can't let strange people, quote unquote, into the house, even though they're your partners. Um, so we believe we need to really kind of focus on all consenting adults. So as part of that, we had to figure out what is consent. I mean, we had prosecutors asking us, what is consent? Just like the, the jury in the Bill Cosby case. That really says a lot when in 2018, people still don't really understand what consent is. And especially with BDSM, it's very nuanced. And so we spent two years creating our consent statement and figuring out, you know, what are the basics of consent in BDSM? And, um, you know, really, we kind of came to a community-wide consensus. And it's, you know, you have to discuss what it is that you're going to do before you do it. You have to be informed about the risks and, um, you know, any health issues involved. Uh, you have to opt in, not opt out. You know, you don't want to just say anything, but um, because that leaves it too wide open. You want to kind of focus it on what it is that you really do want to do. And uh, you want to be able to have control over who's observing and who's involved. And you want to be able to stop whatever's happening at any time. And I think that there's some kind, sometimes resistance to this idea of informed consent before you start doing kink. But really, if you don't, talk to somebody about, you know, spanking them before you spank them, then you're assaulting them. You can't just go on. I, I think that they might like this. So I'm going to hit them. You know, that's, that's a, a higher level and you can't just assume and you can't go by body language. You actually do have to discuss what it is that you're going to do. And then of course, once you're in a partnership and you've been doing it a while, you can be a little bit more loose and, and discuss that with each other, how you want to proceed. I would hope you don't get a lot of pushback on the having to discuss it portion of yeah. that. You, know, you, you, you would be surprised. I'm actually having a discussion right now on, on our consent counts group on FetLife that somebody is saying, you know, you can't expect to do a, a hardcore spanking and, um, and, and not expect to have sex, which I think that you can <laughs> expect that that will happen. And you can ask for that to happen and say, I just want a spanking. I do not want to be penetrated. But the problem is, is that legally prosecutors are not pursuing charges in those kinds of cases because they find it very difficult to explain that you can give consent for a spanking, but not consent to have intercourse. And that's why with our consent counts project, we're working very hard to try to, you know, help, you know, create these definitions of consent, even just for sex um, in the model penal code on sexual assault. Um, it's, it's an issue that is really needed right now. We need to turn this discussion of sex education to consent education. And we need to be focusing on this in, you know, in our community. For example, like when people give a demo, I think we should show the negotiation. I mean, even kind of an abbreviated version of it before the demo. Because if we model that behavior, people will follow it. And right now what we do is we just jump right into the demo and nobody gets to see the discussion that happened around that when it really is just as important as the skills that you're learning. I actually really love the fact that you said, you know, turning the sex ed conversation around to a consent conversation because we have a teenager and, you know, he's going through because he's in high school and that sort of thing, going through sex ed. And he was kind of having the conversation around you know, I don't understand why other students don't get consent. It's pretty simple. You ask somebody what they're okay with you doing. And if they say it's okay and you guys agree on it, then it's okay. If they say they're not okay with it anymore, it's no longer okay. And for me, it was very interesting to hear out of the words of a, a teen to grasp the general concept of consent. Like you need to ask and the person needs to say it's okay. And if they say it's not okay anymore, it's not okay. And the only thing that is okay is the thing that they actually said okay to. So I just thought it was interesting to see that like consent can be as simple as something that a child can get, but yet other people try to overcomplicate it to being this thing that's like, well, if it's this particular activity, well, then it doesn't 
the, the normal course of consent doesn't apply. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, like it all comes back to you have to have that conversation of what is okay? What am I agreeing to? Absolutely. And, you know, but our society is not set up that way sexually. It's very much the idea that you don't talk about sex. You just try to kind of push things along and, you know, coerce things along and manipulate things along and look for the loopholes. You know, people are worried it takes away the spontaneity. Oh my God, if you actually, what do you mean we have to talk about it? Um, and, and we need to like get over all of that and say, yes, if you can't talk about it, you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, and you know, if you can't talk about it with your prospective partner and you're too scared, they might say no. So you're just going to kind of like keep going because, you know, maybe you'll get sex if you do that. That's the wrong way to approach. It, it needs to be both of you on the same page. And, you know, we know in the kink community that it really adds to it when you talk about what it is that you want to do and what turns you on. And, and when you both get on the same page before you actually do anything, it's a much better sexual experience for everybody involved. Or it's a much better BDSM experience because for some people it's not a sexual thing and they have that right to be able to say, I want a BDSM experience without any sex in it. And if you're not interested in that, I don't want to do it. So I'm going to play devil's advocate on a couple of these points. I'm not saying I necessarily agree, but I do think there's some interesting questions that it's worth having answered. So one of the things when you're talking about the discussion, um, one of the, the conversations that I've heard around this topic is that it doesn't always, there's, you know, there's no, and then there's, yes, I definitely want to do that. But then there's also a point of, yeah, I'd be interested in doing it and kind of seeing where it goes. Maybe I'm not enthusiastic about it, but I'm, I'm interested enough to go along with it and kind of see where it goes and what else it leads to. What's your, what's your thought on that kind of thinking? I, I think that if both people are on the same page and it's, we're going to try this and see if this works or not for us, and we're only going to do a little bit of it, that's absolutely fine. People can set their own parameters and their own limits around it. The bigger issue I think happens is when somebody says maybe, and then they're faced with things like persistent questioning, somebody coming up again and again, well, are you ready now or at the next event? Oh, you want to play now? I think that if you've asked somebody and their answer is anything other than an enthusiastic yes, the ball is kind of in their court and it's up to them to kind of bring up their interest. And even a very submissive person can bring up their interest. And well, you know, you were saying that maybe that does kind of sound interesting. And then that's a green light for the other person to be, okay, great. Are, are you interested in it tonight? Or what are you interested in? And then if you hit another, maybe it's like, okay, the brakes are on again, rather than trying to push somebody into agreeing or manipulate somebody into agreeing. And I think also manipulation happens around you know, a lot of newbies come into the scene and they want to just try something to see how it feels. They want that educational experience and, um, so, you know, pick up play, do that. But it's sometimes not clear. Is this a relationship? Is this maybe the start of a romantic relationship or is this just purely, you know, a, a one time in the moment sort of thing? People have their expectations not met. And that leads to hurt feelings and people being unhappy because they're not on the same page about why they're doing it. And that's just as important to discuss as what you're going to do. So I want to touch on a couple of these other, these other things that you said. So one thing that you were talking about that I found really interesting is opting in versus opting out. Can you talk about that for a second? For the longest time in the BDSM community, a lot of people would say, I have no limits or anything but, you know, these very extreme things. Um, and uh, what that does is that that's not really negotiating uh, because, of course, most of us are not into very extreme things. What you need to do is to express what it is that you are interested in with that particular person. Um, I'm into a little spanking, a little rope, a little hair pulling. That's what I'd like to try to do because then that way what you've done is you've created the boundaries of the game, the scene that you're going to play. And then you can go in and you can play with those things. We see problems happen when people introduce things that were not discussed in the middle of a scene or in the aftercare portion when somebody is flying high on adrenaline and endorphins and they'd agree to anything, <laughs> you know, because they're not in their right mind. And so um, that's a common problem. So if you 
And, and then it's excused later as, oh, but we didn't discuss that. So I figured it would be fine. You know, we're doing the op, opt out. Nobody said anything about no blowjob at the end of the rope scene. <laughs> um, well, you need to be able to opt in for that. You need to be able to say, yes, sexual contact is something that I'm okay with. Or you can touch me on the breasts or genitals. Um, and everybody should negotiate that part. Um, but we'll see, we see less problems happen when people opt in rather than opt out. See, that's, that's really interesting to me. So first off, I, I completely agree with you on the negotiating mid scene. Um, one thing when we're talking about consent to people, yeah, it's just a, it's a horrendous idea for so many reasons. Um, and I think I've seen that lead to more problems than, uh, a lot of other things, you know, because people, they agree to stuff mid scene either because they feel pressured, maybe because they're in public or because they're in a vulnerable position or because they're high and, you know, and they agree to stuff that they are, they are not okay with. So I definitely agree with you on that, on that end of it. Like that's, that's always a horrible idea. I don't, I don't necessarily know how that plays into opting in and opting out though. I've always found that, see, I I always have certain concerns with, with negotiating with people to opt in. Um, to a certain extent, I think there's, I think there's a middle ground here somewhere, but I like, when I go into a scene, I like to know people's limits because the problem that uh, another problem that I've seen get run into when people negotiate that way is I find a lot of times it's a lot more unclear when people say what they're okay with than what they aren't okay with. Uh, a example that I use that I've, I've actually seen is somebody who it was, it was okay to spank their ass, but it wasn't okay to spank their legs. But if you say I'm okay to be spanked, it's really, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity there in a lot of, a lot of instances. Like when I'm negotiating with somebody, I like to know their limits because I find it's a lot easier to remember maybe the 20 things that they don't want to do than the hundred things they might be okay with in that particular scene. Although I do think there's definitely, I think that flexes a lot depending on the type of scene you're doing with a person and how well you know them and how many times you've negotiated with them before. Like it's one thing if it's if it's somebody who you were talking before about doing a demo, um, you know, or maybe somebody comes up to you. A situation Cassie's run into a lot is you know somebody comes up to her at an event where she's demoing and wants to do something, and it's this very, uh, very briefly negotiated. Here's exactly what we're doing for the next three minutes while you're trying this thing, but you have a whole lot of ground in between that and say uh, a very like involved consensual non-consent scene where you're trying to cover a lot of ground and there's a lot of possibilities but you still want to stay away from all of their limits during that as well. Um, I definitely agree that the amount that you know somebody or have actually done BDSM with that person makes a big difference. Um, certainly people who are in a relationship and moving along will push boundaries or agree that, that they, there's like a wide range of things they want to try with each other. So um, definitely the opt-in is much more for pickup play you know, first few times you've played with somebody or even um, a demo scene. I I think that, um, you know, we definitely are seeing consent violations happening in demo scenes where um, somebody's agreed to be tied up. And then all of a sudden the, the rigor is touching the crotch or the breasts and they did not agree to have any kind of sexual contact. So I, you know, it, it certainly is your mileage may vary and we're, we're all working this out. This is the advice that NTSF is giving right now. And uh, that's just, you know, and that's more based on the problems that we're seeing. Um, You know, I'm sure there's a lot of very ethical people who can do the opt out and do it well. (laughs) It's just, it's interesting, the different, it's interesting, the different points of view on it. Um, Like, like I said, like, I feel like I've seen more problems with opt in than opt out. But again, I think it's been very dependent on the, the situation. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me, like it's, it's interesting because I'm listening to kind of both of you talk for a second about opt in and opt out. And when I am in a like demo presenter mode or like a pit first time or a first time playing. Yeah. I am totally opt in like, okay, we're going to do a very specific thing with a specific thing in a specific way. And then like, as I have partners for a while, it's very much a like, okay, what are your hard limits? You know, what's the the boundaries within these things? All right, it's party time. So I, I do think that it's very situational and, and very different when you're someone who is new and someone who has been in a relationship with somebody for a while. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, that's kind of the fun of kink is that you 
can kind of explore once you have an understanding with somebody, once you understand body language, once you're able to communicate, you know, you can go, you can be more riskier, you know, you can try things that you've never tried before. And, and that is a lot of the fun of, of kink, but definitely um, newer people, uh, you know, it, there, there can be problems if you, if you, don't actually specifically say what it is that you want to do. I mean, we've had people come to us who have been accused of consent violations. And, and when you hear what they say compared to, you know, it's an interpretation. There's so much misunderstanding that can happen in words. I mean, even when they're trying to communicate, there's so much misunderstanding that can happen. So, you know, certainly if you're new to somebody or you're new to the scene, you need to just kind of be a little more careful, I think. Now, do you still, when, when you're talking about opting in, I, I assume you're still suggest, well, I shouldn't assume, I should ask you, are you still suggesting that people do discuss their limits and things like that? Because like with us, even when we are, you know, with a very new person and it is a lot more of an opt-in type scene, we still want to know limits definitely because then you definitely know where not to go with everything. Oh, absolutely. You, you have to be able to set your own limits and you have to respect the other person's limits. So if somebody has a limit... I think it's really important to express those hard limits, um, you know, especially if it's something around sex. It, it's really important to be able to to say that and to have that respected. Yeah, we have found because we've done some classes around consent and things like that. And honestly, the number one area that people fail to negotiate, people who have been in the scene for a while have done kinky play is sex. Like we'll go through like 30, 40 different things that are limits. our hard limits and our soft limits and our, our medium limits and what our safe words are. And we will fuck up sex. For some reason, we do not discuss sex. And then we get into these positions where then we're in the middle of things and sex has never been discussed. And that's one of the reasons why like in, in our classes, we're like, when you're breaking it down, it's hard limits, soft limits and sex. Make sure you hit sex <laughs> and, and, and psychological triggers and health problems. Cause yeah. people, when they're talking about their limits, a lot of time forget to discuss those, those things. like sex is technically a limit if you're thinking about it, but people, for some reason, when they're negotiating limits, they no, forget I think to talk about that. Not used to talking about sex. I mean, I think that's one reason why people come into the community and have this rush, you know, the, the frenzy is because they're finally allowed just to just talk about what they're interested in. They're taught how to verbalize, you know, their masturbation fantasy, which nobody's ever seen before. And, and we accept it. We're like, Whoa, cool. That sounds like a great thing. Um, so that's what gives people that rush is that they're finally able to speak this. And if we taught people sooner how to talk about sex and how to be responsible about sexuality, maybe we would be more willing to bring that up even when it seems like it's easier to talk about being spanked than it's t- than it is to be like, well, you can spank me, but please do not touch my genitals. You know, um, you'll hear a lot of people say, yes, I, I could go for a spanking, but they won't qual- quantify that aspect of it. What uh, something else that you were talking about when, when you were talking about, you know, you're going through the, the consent counts and the points that you guys cover. You were talking about informed consent. I feel like that's I feel like that's something that gets thrown around a lot. And there's a lot of people have different definitions on what equates to informed consent, especially when you're talking about people who are maybe newer to a scene and negotiating things that they may not understand particularly well. So what are what are some tips you have for making sure that when you are discussing, you know, negotiating with you when they are consenting, that it is actually informed consent? I, I definitely think if there's um, if somebody has never been suspended, if somebody's never been caned, if somebody's never been even flogged, they need to be able to ask those questions of like, well, what are the risks involved? And that's a great way to put it. Um, what are the risks? What could possibly happen here? Because they have to be able to judge if they're willing to take those risks with suspension. If it's done incorrectly, you can actually kind of cause injury that way. Um, so you want to ha- be able to have a talk who will, the, will then say, well, you need to let me know if you're feeling this um, or if you're feeling this way. You know, you have to alert me and here's how I'm going to be able to get you down right away. You need to be able to talk about those things rather than just blindly trust, because there's so many people who have just come into this and, and then are announcing they're, they're an expert. So you need to find out a little bit more. And of course, it becomes more of a problem if that person is not divulging their history, how long they've been doing this, how many people they've done this to, 
Have they ever had any problems in the past doing it? Um, especially when it comes to things that are that are risky, like choking. We're seeing, like Eric Schneiderman, um, he had four accusations uh, of choking and hitting people without talking to them first. Well, those, that's extreme behavior. Um, that is actually can be very dangerous behavior. You need to be able to talk to someone and say, well, if you choke me during sex, you've explained the rush and how great it feels, but what's the risks involved? What's the danger here? People need to be able to know what the worst case scenario is so they can decide if that worst case scenario is something that they can't tolerate, then they won't do that. Um, I think too often we get into negotiations and people immediately fall into their roles and it's the top telling the bottom what to do or what they're going to do. And the bottom's just saying yes or no or answering questions instead of the bottom also being an equal and coming in as an equal and asking the questions and finding out, is this person speaking to them as, a, as an equal? Are they trying to trick them or coerce them? Um, are you afraid to be, you know, express your feelings with this person in this conversation? Those are all red flags. I think it's important for people to be able to negotiate as equals, even anytime you negotiate, like even if you are in an established power exchange relationship or something along those lines, like anytime you negotiate anything like that, you have to be able to enter that negotiation as equals, regardless of roles, regardless of other things that are already in place. I agree with that completely. Um, but so often people will just, you know, mistress, will you play with me or mistress, I'm ready to be spanked. And it's like, no, you need to, you need to actually like approach each other as adults and, and really talk about it. And, and I think that there's also misconceptions about there's still some one true way ism out there. This idea that if you're in a DS dynamic, you have to always be in that DS dynamic for it to be legitimate. Listen, I've been, I've been doing this since 91 and, and I've been with my husband for 20, 24 years. And we are not always in a DS dynamic and we are perfectly legitimate kinksters. <laughs> um, you know, you, you should be allowed to choose for yourself how deep you go into this and how much of your life is dedicated to this kind of power exchange. And too often we see people, you know, pushing towards the extremes and, and dismissing us lovely bedroom submissives who, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of us out there. Yeah, that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> that's a whole nother discussion. Let's let's talk about communication and about revoking consent, um, and and about communication during scenes and and you know when things aren't necessarily going well about you know stopping a scene or changing a scene or things along those lines. Like, what are some breast prac breast? What are some best practices? <laughs> See where you're like, yes, I did. <laughs> Went right there. Um. Best practices. It's sometimes very difficult for people to safe word or say no or communicate when they're in a submissive state. And um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, but they didn't safe word. It's like, yes, but it's also there's a bigger responsibility than just waiting for somebody else to pull the cord. Um, a top really does have to be very sensitive to how the person is reacting. And if they feel that there's anything going wrong, they need to, to discuss it with the person, even when they're, they're in the middle of a scene, check in. I think checking in is extremely important. Like, you know, how are you doing? How do you feel now? I mean, you can do it in a way that doesn't break the, the power exchange dynamic, but you can actually draw out information. I think that I would like to see tops stop sooner if they feel that something is not quite going right. Um, I, it's really important to leave stuff for next time instead of trying to pack it all in and, you know, oh, it's going so well. Let's just throw the kitchen sink in here. I think that that's where we see some scenes go wrong, um, especially with new people who, who have not been taught how to speak up. It took me a good year in the scene before I realized, oh, I'm talking about safe, sane and consensual every week. But now I suddenly realize Oh, this means I actually have to speak up when something is uncomfortable. You know, um, we're not taught that in society. So there is a learning curve. In one of our uh, uh, surveys, our consent violation survey, we found like there's a red zone of the before you come into the community and the first three years where you're learning this information and you're figuring out your own limits. Um, so I would like to see people working more with each other and, and being more 
lenient instead of sticking to the power exchange. I hear so many people who come to us say, you know, they made me feel bad because I had to stop the scene. And I thought that I was the one in the wrong uh, because of the way I stopped the scene or because I let it go too long before I stopped the scene or because I protested and they didn't listen to me and I thought that they were right. You know, I think that anytime somebody has an issue and expresses any kind of discomfort, it really needs to be dealt with because we're doing more intense stuff with each other. I guess my question is, is, you know, say you're a top and you have like established safe words, you feel like things are going well, you don't, you are checking in and things like that, but your bottom doesn't express that they want a scene to end. How does that play out? How does that uh, assumption of, of knowing versus not knowing play into this whole consent thing? I think that we only hear about the incidents that um, that incidents where it's not resolved. I think there's a lot of us working this out with with our partners um, in terms of, well, you know, I think that might have crossed a line and I didn't say anything at the time, but now I'm really thinking about it and I don't want that to happen again. And then your partner saying, okay, I get that. I could tell you were a little uncomfortable. I wasn't sure. Next time we won't do that. That doesn't turn into a big incident. You know, that's a learning experience. So I think how you handle when somebody brings up that they have an issue is very telling. If um, you blame the other person, if you put it off on the other person, that's going to make them feel worse because, hey, there's two people involved here. You you know, everybody has to take some part in this. um, So you need to discuss it to the point to find out what was your part in it. And if everybody can own the parts that they contributed to, then you can move on and you can have another scene and you can continue to grow in your relationship. It's when people are stonewalled and told that it's their fault or they're isolated. They're told not to talk to people or they're uh, pressured uh, and told, well, you're not a good submissive or, well, I've had other submissives who could take a lot more. You know, those are the, those are the things that turn into a bad consent incident. It's interesting. One of one of our first episodes may even have been the first episode. I'm gonna have to look. Second, are you second about episode. Charlie Glickman. Yeah, we um we actually uh, talked to Charlie Glickman um about it was actually an article he'd written about consent violations and consent accidents. I don't know. Have you read that by any chance? It was it, it was floating around for a while. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea because that's what we found in our consent violation survey. There was accidents. There was misunderstandings and miscommunications. Um, so people did not believe that there was bad intent. And there was actually some reported consent violations that were part of the dynamic. They had an understanding that their limits could be violated in certain ways. And so they were actually okay. But then we had two thirds. One third was manipulation and the other third was coercion or a predator. I'm, I'm going to step back there for just a minute. I, I find that whole concept of a a relationship where you agree that your limits could be violated. I, I, that just struck me as kind of an odd statement. I've never heard, I've never heard of something. I like to think I'm pretty well versed. I've never heard of, I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't your limits being violated automatically be against your consent? I, uh, you know, I would think so. Um, <laughs> okay. Maybe I'm not, maybe they're using the definition of limits different than I'm using the definition of limits. I'm wondering, are they talking about consensual non-consent where they might have said no in the middle of a scene, but because they were doing a consensual non-consent scene or they were in a consensual non-consent relationship, their no was ignored. I think that that's a very risky move for any top to do. Those are the kinds of things where if you actually injure somebody, you know, you can really get into bad trouble. Um, The big cases that we have in in the BDSM community, Glenn Marcus, Marcus and Ed Bagley, both hurt their subs and ignored their nose. And they were actually convicted both of sex trafficking as well as assault. Um, because, you know, subs tend to be helping their masters and both were doing work for their masters in certain ways. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's very risky. But that came about because of our first survey, the consent count survey, where we were specifically told by some people, yes, my consent has been violated, but I was okay with it because that was our dynamic. So we put that into our consent violation survey, which was the follow-up to find out why do you think it happened? And um, 7% said it was part of our dynamic. 
Yeah, they're they're using the words limits and consent very differently, I think, than I I use them. I do just want to clarify though, as somebody who does a reasonable amount of consensual non-consent, uh, if you're doing consensual non-consent in any kind of safe way, you're still respecting whatever limits were laid out from that scene. And there's still a safe word, even if no doesn't actually mean no, there's still a safe word that means no. There has to be an escape hatch. Right. I think there's a lot of people that are under the impression that because the person agreed that they would not say no, that that they really legally can't say no. When it's the absolute opposite, when it comes to intimate personal relationships, you can say no at any time to anything. And so we try to get this information out there and we do meet resistance from from that. But you know what? Listen, that's that's the basic thing is consent. If you don't have consent at every moment for what is happening, especially with BDSM, then it, it immediately turns into abuse. You cannot force somebody to do this. It's just too easy to hurt somebody emotionally or physically, and we can't go there. Yeah, I think that it's important to realize that like with consensual non-consent, because I've had people who have gotten that mixed up is that so we 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 do quite a bit of I switch and we do quite a bit of consensual non-consent as tops is why we're kind of like whoa wait whoa. <laughs> let us define this real quick I do have to say that we also ask the people who are in a consensual non-consent relationship if their consent had ever been violated and it was about half the number of just general people it was like 29% of just the entire 4500 people who took our survey said that their consent had been violated Either either their pre-negotiated limits had been violated or their safe word had been ignored. In a consensual non-consent um, context, it was only like 15% said that their pre-negotiated limits or their safe word had been ignored. So in some ways, the people doing consensual non-consent are negotiating more thoroughly. <laughs> you really have to to a certain yeah. extent or you do wind up in hot water. Yeah, I just wanted to explain like with the consensual non-consent, even though it's consensual non-consent, what that means just for like the people who might be listening and be slightly confused, I'm going to break it down into a, a, a little bit more like, you know, entry level, kinky level is with consensual non-consent, you are given the realm of limits. And within those realms, even if it's something that isn't the fun thing, so it's like the, ah, that's not really fun for me, it's still okay. It's still in the parameter of the limits. Though. And there's still a safe word. It's not usually no, because usually no is... <laughs> reiterated a yeah. lot during those kind of scenes, but there's there's an obvious. Who knows who's going to be triggered when? We have to respect each each other. You you may have had a million scenes with somebody, and suddenly they're triggered by something. They need to be able to to take care of themselves, and they need to be able to communicate that to you, um, so that you don't think that it's just you know just keep going merrily along. I mean, none of us want to harm people. We might want to hurt people, but we don't want to cause harm. <laughs> And you do want to remember, too, that if, you know, if you're doing something where a safe word isn't easily available, like some grappling scenes or certain certain like gags or hoods or certain things like that, you need to make sure you have a, a sign as a backup, something to shake, something to drop, something along those lines Or like lines being as able well. to tap somebody, like a tap yep. out for MMA. Yeah. Um, those are all good options if your mouth is not available, because sometimes we do things where our mouths are not available and they're fun. So you want to make sure you have those things. And also... I want to also say that it's not just the bottom who can stop a scene. If you're a top and you're not okay, if something's going south, you have the right to stop a scene as well. Absolutely. We had some tops report that their consent had been violated and it definitely does happen. I mean, some, some bottoms will try to provoke a top into a reaction and that's not consensual. So this is, this is really interesting. So I've actually pulled up the consent counts, um, the consent counts. So I actually do a, um, I do a, a class on BDSM and law enforcement. And one of the things that I, I talk about to people that sometimes surprises them that I actually see in the consent counts paperwork is that in every jurisdiction that I'm aware of, consent is not a valid, uh, a valid defense for serious injury. No, it is not. And if you injure somebody, even if they were absolutely willing and consenting and you have it in writing and you injure them, uh, you can still be arrested. We've got a number of cases, especially like if you do knife play, for example, you can have an accident. Well, if you go to the hospital and you say we were doing knife play, um, we have had incidences where the top has been arrested for assault. 
because you're not allowed to really actually injure somebody. No, and speaking as somebody who's coming from a law enforcement background, once you rise to a certain level of injury, it's actually non-discretionary and the consent doesn't even play a role anymore. In Maryland, I mean, now in Maryland, it has to rise to a certain level um, of either serious injury or some kind of injury with a weapon. Um, And I know it varies jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but. The problem is serious physical injury is interpreted, especially in the case law, very low. It's it's a it's hot wax and a writing pop. <laughs> choking. I mean, choking's a very choking is a very common uh, in Maryland, at least. Choking is a very common one that if if you were to actually go and put it out there, would be considered to be uh, a felony in Maryland. Believe it or not. Absolutely. Because it's a it's a risk of um, of death when you choke somebody you can actually kill them and so you if any kind of case comes that's actually kind of the big cases that are taken seriously by law enforcement if you are doing breath play with somebody and you accidentally put them into a coma or um, cause a stroke or God forbid actually kill them accidentally you will go to jail. Um, the question is whether it's manslaughter or murder, you know, if they try to figure out, if they try to think that interpret it, that you had some sort of designs to actually kill somebody, then you're in even more serious trouble. But even if it was a complete accident and you never intended and never thought it could happen, you're still going to pay because it's a crime. So I want to, I want to talk, I want to talk like at the end to make sure we do cover it. I want to talk about kind of the current state of BDSM and the law and, and things like that. Um, but before we we get there, I do want to talk about resources and especially as far as the NCSF is concerned and what to do if your consent is violated or you are in the position of uh, having somebody say you violated their consent. But before we get to that, is there anything else just on the you know consent, consent counts, best practices into things that you want to throw in that we haven't talked about yet? I think I, I would like to mention the best way for individuals can help move this consent culture along is to talk to your groups about it, to make the suggestion like, you know, show the negotiation before the skills, have a consent policy, have a way that people can report consent incidents that's not just to one person, but to uh, a committee or um, anonymously if they need to. Because um, if we don't push this consent culture forward within our groups, then um, that's when there can be problems. So um, NCSF does a lot of work with groups. We do a lot of work preemptively in how to help them set up to deal with consent violations. Um, And we work with groups that are dealing actively with, okay, this person has been reported for a consent violation. How do we judge? You know, how do we investigate? Questions do we ask? And NCSF has, you know, lists of things that that groups can consider uh, when they're dealing with this. So I would definitely, um, anybody who's interested in, you can, you can make a difference by talking to your group about consent. Okay. So let's talk about if either your, something goes wrong in a scene. And I mean, there's all different kinds of levels of this, but something goes wrong in a scene, your consent's violated. Um, you're somebody saying you violated their consent. Um, what are some steps to take and what are some resources as far as what the NCSF has available for that? Well, you can report through our incident reporting and response program. There's a form online. And we will keep the details confidential. There is a lot of stuff happening in the kink community that NCSF is involved in, but you don't hear us talking about it. Um, And that's because we can't do the work that we do if we don't keep everything absolutely confidential. So you won't see us in the midst of a a FetLife brouhaha. Um, We just don't go on and comment. But if you report it, it really is very helpful because um, we can help you if you're a survivor of a consent violation. Um, We can help get you um, counseling. We can help connect you with other resources. A lot of times when trauma happens, it's somebody that you know and you trusted. And the betrayal is a very hard thing to deal with. I mean, it really does help to get a couple of counseling sessions to be able to hear that your reaction that you're having is perfectly normal. And here's here's things that you can do to deal with this so that it doesn't haunt you, so that you can process it and get through it. And, um, and be able to move on. It also helps because, you know, I would never tell anybody just to call 911 and report something to the cops. There is a, a safety net out there that's available to help you do that. 
Um, so anybody who does want to report a crime or does need to get a, a restraining order, you know, there's people out there that are available to help. And NCSF does a lot of education with victim advocacy agencies. We've done 70 webinars with for groups of people at agencies. Um, we actually have Widener interns who are giving these webinars now for us. And we've really managed to spread the word. A lot of these agencies are very um, understanding of, of BDSM and consent. So there is a lot of support that's available for people who've had a consent violation. And for the people who've been accused of a consent violation, we also have some helpful information. If you've actually been reported to the police, well, you're going to need a consent. You're going to need a criminal defense attorney. And it helps to have one who's a kink-aware professional or LGBTQ because they understand more the dynamics within these communities. You're going to need um, the resources that we have, like the consent statement, which lays out, here's what's consensual and here's what's not, to kind of help educate. Sometimes we get people come to us for expert witnesses so that they can explain what is consensual BDSM to the judge or jury. And if somebody has not been reported to the police, but you know they've been accused on FetLife, that's the, that's the biggest issue that we have in terms of trying to help people deal with it. A lot of times you, you know, we tell people don't apologize unless it's a real apology. Don't make excuses because that can make, make the situation worse. Um, if you need to discuss it with the group, here's the best way to handle that. And, um, you know, people come to us looking for mediation and we explain, well, you really do to, to mediate, you, you can't go into it thinking you're going to change the other person's mind and they're going to finally agree that you didn't violate their consent. So a lot of what we're doing is just kind of explaining things like that and explaining that, well, you can't really sue this person for defamation if they're not naming you publicly um, and saying that you committed a crime. There, there is no, you can't sue for, for somebody. I mean, we actually did see a lawsuit where somebody tried to sue over a FetLife writing where the person wasn't named and he had to bring in people who knew who it was being talked about. And that turned into a big wash. Um, which tens of thousands of dollars are spent. So we explain this stuff just that what we've seen to people so that they understand what it is that they're they're faced with and what what they can maybe do. We do suggest to people who have been accused, especially two or more times, to step back from the scene and not try to teach, not try to organize a new group in opposition of the group that banned you. You know, to take the time to learn and and to change and grow and get counseling um so that you can prove that yes you know i am really dealing with this seriously so something else that i wanted to talk to you about and it's it's uh not exactly on the same topic but as i said so i i do i do teach a class on interacting with police as as you know as being kinky and bdsm and one of the things i get asked a lot that actually you guys have a lot more familiarity with than i do i can only answer from my you know my personal experience and stories that i've heard is the question of how at this point in our history, or I guess where we're at as a country, what you know, what are some of the potential hazards as far as BDSM and running into legal issues? And how I guess how real is that is that threat as just like, you know, like your average kinkster walking around? You know, my it, it seemed to me that most of the stories I've heard where where there is some kind of legal ramification to BDSM has come from either uh you know, something where for some reason one of the partners went to the police um, and then BDSM got brought into it that way or stuff with child custody. But I'm curious to hear from you, you know, how, how prevalent is it currently to run into those issues? Because I think a lot of people are, are really concerned just on an everyday basis that they could wind up getting criminally charged for what they do and that it's likely to happen. Well, it used to be much more likely that a consensual BDSM scene would be charged criminally. Um, we used to have a big problem 20 years ago with the alleged domestic violence call where somebody would, a neighbor or, um, you know, a family member would report to the police that their, their, their loved one was being abused and the police would show up. And especially if it was in the midst of a scene, um, would arrest somebody, even if everybody was saying it was consensual. Um, we, NCSF did a ton of educational work, educating police departments about BDSM. And um, society has kind of shifted with Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, certainly that has helped lessen the discrimination that is happening. Now it's more acceptable that people are doing this. 
So now it's actually the pendulum has swung the other direction where it's very hard to get the police to take it seriously. If you do report a consent violation, um, often they'll, they'll tell you, well, you, what did you think was going to happen if you're doing this with somebody? You know, of course they're going to violate you. Aren't you asking for it? So now we're having to spend a lot of time trying to explain to investigators and district attorneys that people can consent to a spanking and not consent to intercourse. Um, and then they're having a hard time trying to explain that to judges and juries. So one reason why we're, we've worked with the American Law Institute on helping them create their definition on consent is because we believe that that will help even the pendulum swing back out again, where somebody who really is raped in the course of a BDSM scene will have recourse for that. There is still discrimination, though. Um, it, it is still very hard for us to say, come out, because um, there are consequences. People have issues with family members, especially um, tight-knit communities um, where you know everybody's cousin knows everybody else. If that gets out, that can actually ver- damage them and um, maybe even be ostracized from their community. Um, we're seeing job discrimination around issues like teachers still have a problem um, coming out about being kinky or people who are in a high pro- profile position. If it comes out that they're kinky, it, it can often ruin, like if they're a politician, it can ruin their chances. We're also still seeing some child custody issues. Um, if you have minor children, it's probably not a good idea to have identifiable pictures of yourself on FetLife with lots of marks um, on your body, because those can be taken by anybody who might want to challenge your child custody and can be used against you in court. So we still see this discrimination happening. It's definitely less than it was. We're seeing a lot of people come in from like the Fifty Shades crowd who have no idea that that they need to be closeted. And so they aren't closeted. (laughs) And, um, that's kind of shifting the whole community towards being more out, and um, which is why we're starting to see more civil lawsuits, uh, people suing each other for injuries, um, and it's making us more high profile. And with that is coming a different kind of discrimination. For many years, we didn't have any problems with religious political extremists, but now they're attacking our groups again. And so any group that kind of hits their radar, either the National Center on Sexual Exploitation or one of their little satellite groups, are attacking that group and calling them sex traffickers. And this is kinky people, non-monogamous. We've had six events in less than two years that have been attacked in this way. And this accusation of sex trafficking is so serious. It's, um, it's not something to be trifled with. Like I said, the two big cases that happened in the past 10 years, sex trafficking charges were applied as well. So um, there are still concerns. Um, if anybody's in a sensitive position, we don't recommend that you come out. Uh, not right now. Those of us who can come out, I can come out. I did come out. I was outed. After that, I was like, that's it. I'm out. Um, (laughs) you know, it's good for us to do that, um, because we do need the voices out there, but I have to advocate for people to still take care of themselves. Absolutely. You should definitely evaluate your situation and what your risks are before deciding to come out. So I think that was all the questions I had. Did you have any? Pretty, I mean, I could talk to Susan all day, but. <laughs> I think this is much longer than your normal. <laughs> no, no, actually. I mean, well, it's a little bit, not, not too much. No, we're, not we're, too much. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, we, we could easily, honestly, we could easily talk to you for a couple hours. We have a hard stop in like 30 minutes. Um, okay. Well, I think if it's okay with you, I think we'll, I think we'll go through the speed round. If that works. So, Susan, are you excited for the speed round? Sure. All right. Do you know about the speed round? Yes. Yes, I do know about the speed round. <laughs> I, I, am, I have informed consent. <laughs> okay, okay, good. All right. So the idea is to get through the questions in as little as time as possible. It's supposed to be within 60 seconds, but no one ever does. I think the only person who ever did was uh, one person who like all their answers were, I don't know. So I don't think that actually counts. <laughs> but but as fast as you can, there is no right or wrong answers. All right. So what's something you're not very good at? I'm not a very good cook. The best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Uh, That both people or all three people or four people have to be um, 
in it believing that you are partners and uh, otherwise why bother? What are three things you couldn't live without? Mm, my cats, my husband, and my family. What turns you on? Oh, I like to be spanked. <laughs> All right. This one's the hard one. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Whoa. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that one that nobody agrees with me on. Mm, that running an organization is really hard. <laughs> I think you have a lot of agreement. A lot of perks than you might think. <laughs> a book that you would recommend for our listeners. Um, I'm reading this great book called Love's Not Colorblind by um, Kevin Patterson. And it's about uh, non-monogamy and people of color communities. Right. What is your biggest fear? Ooh, uh, that I can't keep up. <laughs> What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? It could be sexual or not sexual. I went to Area 51 one time when I was writing a book about UFOs. And it was the most freaky thing in the world, this helicopter like kind of emerged from, from the ground, literally from like a ravine. Suddenly there's this Black Hawk helicopter rising up right next to us. Wild. Awesome. Hence the noises that we were hearing before. It's, they're coming back after you. Yes. <laughs> yes. I have to admit I have a little alien abduction stuff going on. All right. So who's your movie star crush? It could be your TV star crush or music crush. It doesn't matter. Your famous person crush. I don't really have a famous person crush. <laughs> All right. So what is something you're currently working on right now that you want our listeners to know about? We're creating a new brochure on consent for non-monogamy. We have one right now for a kink. It's called Got Consent for Kink. And this one's going to be Got Consent for Non-Monogamy. Where can people find you at online? And also along with that, I'd like to get the, the number on here for people to call for incident response as well. Well, uh, our website is www.ncsfreedom.org. And we have at the top menu, it says incident response, reporting and response. You can go there and there's a form there. We also have our Facebook page, NCS Freedom. We have our Twitter, it's NCSF. So those are the best ways to get hold of us. We're also, of course, on FetLife with our NCSF group and our consent counts group where we talk mostly about consent. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. It could be, I guess, my mic. I mean, considering it was so low, but... Uh, well, there was like a weird... It, it almost sounded like... I don't know how to describe it except was, like a UFO. I was kind of worried that you were getting ready to get abducted. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, roll, 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 roll. Not today, maybe later. <laughs> <laughs>